0: warning this episode discusses the abuse of women and children and might trigger sensitive listeners hello and welcome to what's love the podcast this is a podcast series brought to you by Zanga and in collaboration with the soul city institute for social justice everyone and welcome to yet another exciting episode of what's love the podcast we are recording this episode still under very unprecedented times of covid-19 and in south africa we are under a compulsory lockdown so if for any reason the quality of our recording is not up to standard we apologize because we've got to do what we've got to do during this period. But let us assure you that what will be compromised may be the sound, but not the content of the podcast. And as you know, I do not travel alone. I am with my legal eagle, Tinyko Mbenze from Tirisanawo. How are you, Tineko?
1: Hi, Lebu. How are you? This fine afternoon. Yeah.
0: I'm good. I'm good. Just trying to remodel myself during the lockdown, finding even more recipes to try out and even more things to remain creative and sane. How about you?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd forgotten you told us you've, you've gone vegan for just a few weeks.
0: I'm eating How's meat now. How's that going? me not. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's back. going. <laughs> It's going. going. And on the background, laughing at me for eating meat now uh, is a colleague, a friend, an activist, a sister who is going to be with us today uh, because we are uh, discussing something quite serious during this lockdown. So just at the beginning of the lockdown, um, one of the concerns that many raised was the fact that although to make sure that people become safe is that people must remain at home. But for many women, remaining home means that you remain home with your abuser. So one of the critical issues that we raised was how women are going to survive the lockdown and children in homes where there is abuse. And one person who is at the cold face of it, apart from the fact that she was laughing at me just now, Mm -hmm. Mandisa (laughs) Kanyile, who is from Rise Up uh, Against Gender-Based Violence. Welcome Mandisa, and thank you for being with us. Thank you for welcoming me, Lebu. I look forward to a great conversation. Great. So Mandisa, even before the lockdown, You have been involved with the struggle to eradicate gender-based violence in South Africa. You were quite involved in organizing the total shutdown. Can you just give us a sense of how big the problem of gender-based violence is in South Africa and why it is such a big concern for you?
2: Look, South Africa has five times the global average uh, when it comes to instances of gender-based violence in the world. So whilst other countries are averaging maybe 50 per 100,000, we average 250 per 100,000, and that's just reported incidences. South Africa is the leader when it comes to child abuse globally. No one abuses more children than us, according to statistics. And obviously when it comes to rape, um, we rape more women than some countries that are actually currently at war. So it's, 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 it's quite interesting that a country that's supposed to be democratic and at peace has these kind of really violent statistics when it comes to gender-based violence. What's more disturbing is the fact that we have a gross problem of underreporting in the country. So even these incredibly bad stats aren't the real, reality of what's happening on the ground. Um, and what we need to do uh, is ensure that, one, we beef up reporting so we have real stats, but also we beef up interventions for gender-based violence response and we beef up prevention, essentially. Um, it's a huge concern because as a person who's been touched by GBV myself... I go and I speak to people around me, women in my intimate circle, and I ask them, have you ever been sexually harassed? Have you ever been raped? Uh, Have you ever been abused in some way, shape or other? And I'm yet to find anyone who said no. Wow. And that's a huge problem for me, because even if it's just as, as, as something that people would disregard as catcalling or obviously the worst form of offence, which is femicide. But there isn't a woman in this country that can say she has not experienced some form yeah.
0: of violence against women. Or harassment, or fear, or just living exactly. in fear. Yeah. Exactly. So Mandista, you uh, were part of a phenomenal time in our history in South Africa, which was organizing the total shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I know at the summit, the total shutdown had 24, demands the mm. president honored the call by women to come and meet with him and then an interceding committee was created and had to look at some of those demands mm. fundamentally i'm asking you two questions before we even talk about the lockdown what were some of the 24 demands And what do you think of the progress that has been made? What has been some of the successes? What has been some of the challenges uh, around the promises that were made by the president and the work that has been done since that summit in November in Johannesburg?
2: Look, a lot has been done. Uh, Firstly, uh, post the summit. Uh, you had the president sign off on all, it's actually 25 demands in total. Uh, we added one last minute, but, um, so they, he signed off on all of them. And, and, and then we started talking about what would be the deadlines, uh, for seeing all of this go through. Uh, the interim steering committee was very, very pivotal in that conversation. And recently, uh, we saw the signing off of one of the five key asks, which is a national strategic plan for gender-based violence. Um, The president announced it, if I'm not mistaken, about a week and a half ago. Uh, We've also seen uh, a proper resourced resourced sensitization program, specifically uh, directed at South African police services. Over 5,000 officers were trained. And that money also came out of an emergency response plan that allocated $1.6 billion to gender-based violence post the centen shutdown and uh, World Economic Forum marches that were a subsequent event from the total shutdown march. Um, we've finally seen a deadline for the decriminalization of sex work. Uh, we have also seen a process that is going to set up a GBV fund um, and this fund is going to be responsible for resourcing the national response about, around gender-based violence. So that would be from prevention to response all the way to policy reform that's going to be coming out of that fund. So I think that those are some major milestones that we've seen um, and that have been spearheaded by women who volunteered their time, their intellectual uh, uh, capacity to this process and have really dedicated the past two years to seeing the demands made on the 1st of August, 2018, uh, realized for every Mm. woman in this
0: country? Quite great movements. And as you rightfully say, many women had to die. Many women had to scream. Many women and many organizations and many civil society groups had to come to the table, as you rightfully say, volunteering their time to do this. Mm. Then we get covid Here we are right now, we are dealing with an invisible um, virus. We are dealing with an invisible enemy, if one can call it that. And many women are supposed to stay indoors. Tell us when and how, just map out a picture for us about when and how uh, the, the requests came from you, from women in their homes.
2: Look, um, we actually didn't initially uh, when COVID-19 lockdown started. uh, We were going to be in lockdown with everybody else and and continue with our lives. Um, But then one, we realized because one of our direct support mechanisms is to uh, women living on the street because of their vulnerability to gender-based violence, we realized that the temporary sheltering wasn't happening. Then we realized that there wasn't sufficient sheltering generally for uh, survivors of violence. And then when we started talking to survivors who were inboxing us uh, on our Facebook and our Twitter pages, et cetera, they were like, the problem is how do I leave? Let's say I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling unsafe. How do I actually leave? No one is allowed out on the streets unless they're going to the shops, et cetera. Um, yes, if I want to go to the police station, I can legally um, if I get stopped. But then what is my explanation at home? How do I explain Mm -hmm. the day after I was beaten up that I need to all of a sudden go to the shops? It's quite obvious. Mm -hmm. So essentially survivors needed help getting out of their homes because the perpetrators had them trapped. Um, One of the first survivors that we had, um, the perpetrator had beaten her that morning. She asked, she said she needed to go to the clinic just to attend to her wounds. And she DM'd us saying, can we meet her at the clinic so that she can escape? The problem is, uh, when she started packing her bags, he got suspicious. So then she left the bags and came to the clinic when she gets to the clinic and we're waiting for her, she's like, I can't leave without my child. So mm-hmm. then we we'll go to the police station. We we'll go to pick up the child and that's where the drama began. Um, mm-hmm. He became violent. Uh, He didn't even mind that the police were there. He wanted to beat her. He refused with the second child that was his because one of them is not biological. Um, He made her remove her shoes. He said he's not going to open the house until she removes her shoes because he bought them. Um, And so essentially for us to negotiate her way out of there with police escorts, um, she had to go through that process of dehumanizing herself and walking out with nothing
0: except the clothes on her back, barefoot, to leave this man. Wow. Daniela, yeah, it, let me come in here. Mandisa is saying this woman went, I mean, she, she did quite a lot in getting to the clinic, in even contacting somebody and saying, meet me at the clinic. They, she gets the help, which is what uh, uh, Mandisa and her organization are doing. She gets the police, she gets there, and this man still demands leave my shoes. How legal is this and what does the law say about the conduct of the man in the presence of police?
1: Yeah, I wish I could, I, I could say that this sounds like a far-fetched situation where the police aren't doing the the job of intervening. Um, especially in a situation where the man is obviously displaying um, his 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 propensity towards violence with regards to his family, right? Um, it's it, it's it's definitely illegal. the The police should have spoken and protected um, the 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 lady, you know, in that situation. They should have said she can't take off her shoes, even though you bought them, because when you purchase them, you purchase them for her and therefore legally they belong to her because that, that was the sole purpose of that gift. That's why you bought it, so it's now hers. You can't claim ownership on it just because you purchased it, you know. Um, and secondly, this this goes into a deeper condition of, of why even um, perpetrators of gender-based violence believe they have the right to do that, is that they think that they are the only ones contributing towards the, I would say, in inverted commas, betterment of of that family, you know. So because of this dependency relationship and the fact that they know that the police are not going to investigate the case, they continue to be the way that they are. At that moment, the police should have arrested him Because there's not only is there a suspicion that he's violent, he's displaying the violence in front of them and he's acting aggressive towards the person who went there to try and report a case. And secondly, they should have released both kids to the custody of their mother on the basis of right now you look like a violent person. And for the safety of the children, which is what we're charged with, Protect The people we're charged with protecting We're removing them from you And you must prove why They should stay with you and not the mother
2: Then you go, I need to add Sorry, uh, because the story Gets worse Mm, Um, So um, two weeks after She had already been in the shelter with the one child Because she obviously has The same cell phone number and he has her number He calls her and the other child Is two and puts her on Loudspeaker and then beats the child so oh, that no. she could hear the child screaming oh, and say, no. this is your fault for leaving me. Same guy. Oh, my Luckily, God. Luckily, this time <laughs> the police actually did intervene. He's currently in jail for child abuse. And the state opened the case because they said that they don't trust her to open the case and not, um, uh, uh, um, what do they call With it? Throw when it. you withdraw it. Yes. So this is the levels that this perpetrator had gone through to try and keep this woman from leaving this relationship. And you must understand how desperate she must have been to leave him, Mm. to actually leave a two year old behind because she was so afraid for her safety. She was shaking literally in the car on our way back on some like, please tell me he can never find me again. So, from a negligence perspective, those police officers that allowed, didn't let her take the second child, to some extent, are responsible for what happened to the child after that point.
0: I think you are right. and it gets, it gets worse. Tineko, when women are not happy with the service that they received from the police, what steps can they take? Because clearly, the woman who has done so much to make sure that, you know, she gets, um, reports. What happens when this happens? <laughs> she, can, she can
1: report the police um, to, to IPED, right? Um, but she would first need to start at the station and just see if the station takes any action towards um, the behavior that she had a problem with um, of, of those police officers, their negligence. Because Mandisa is right. Um, there is a causal link to the child, the two-year-old landing up in a hospital and the police's um, refusal to act and, take the, and, and give the mother, the two-year-old, even though they saw his propensity for violence. Um, so she could, um, if she has the resources, um, she could go to a law clinic, or she could go and 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 and, and find an attorney, and and, and sue the police, um, especially for the um, the medical costs associated with the two-year-old um, after the beating that was meant literally just to continue traumatizing her because he continued even in a safe place. She was never safe from him because she still abused him emotionally and psychologically.
0: Yeah. He still abused her, not she abused him. (laughs) He abused her. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) That's what I meant. That's what I meant. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that we don't blame the woman. Now, um, no, no, no,
1: no.
0: you say that, uh, Mandisa, you are doing this work because, uh, you know, you firstly work with women on the streets, but you also are aware that they aren't shelters. Mm. So what is the current state when a woman like the one whose story you've just told us, um, you know, asks for help, asks to be removed from the house? and um what kind of support is available currently i know you said it is not enough but 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 what are you able to do what is the kind of help women can get
2: look um i think currently the mechanisms for reporting um are one you can either go via the gbv command center or 800 428 428 or you can say move that the a message. bit slow so that a bit oh, slow sorry the door, the gbv command center is, uh, mm-hmm. is the first port of call, um, uh, 0800 428 428. Um, and also, uh, you have, um, Lifeline that's running a domestic violence hotline on 0800 150 150. Now they f- they refer you to, uh, either a shelter in your area, uh, police services in your area, psychosocial services in your area, and whatever you need, um, in, in, in order to, to get yourself to safety. That's if you are able to get to a phone uh, or if you are able to to make a phone call and you're not an earshot of your your, uh, perpetrator. They do also run a WhatsApp line. I don't have the number right now. I apologize. Um, And then we are also available um, specifically uh, for the Gauteng area uh, to evacuate survivors who are not able to make a phone call. All they need to do is WhatsApp us on our number. Um, I'm going to give it to you just now. Uh, but what we would then do, but the thing is, I want to be clear. They must send us that message when they want to be evacuated. If they're looking for psychosocial support services or social work services, etc., it's better to refer to the GBV command center or the domestic violence hotline. Uh, we specifically, when you contact us, we are going to activate the police, come to your location and remove you from the property. So our number is 73 732 6060 and we'll operate throughout the Gauteng province uh, when it comes to evacuations in particular. We will okay. then, um, you will tell us where you want to go. So you don't necessarily have to go to a shelter or a place of safety. If you have a uh, family or friends within the Gauteng region that you would like that you feel safe to go to, by all means, we will drive you to that place. Uh, we also provide a uh, grocery hamper because we understand that. Coming to family and friends during a lockdown, they might not have the resources available to feed you and your children, etc. So, we do provide uh, meal vouchers for our survivors that we evacuate. And we even top up the shelters that we bring them to because we also understand that currently there's a serious resource allocation problem when it comes to sheltering. Um, whatever services you need post that point, uh, from like medical services, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because we've had two pregnant survivors that uh, were beaten whilst they were pregnant, that we've evacuated. We actually sure. drive you to your doctor's appointments and all of those things because there's restricted movements, right? Um, yeah. And if Yeah, so, so all of those things that would essentially be seen as lockdown violations if you were to do them on your own, because we have permits, we are able to move around survivors so that they are, they are minimally inconvenienced uh, by, by moving away
0: from the perpetrator. Great. How many people... Get evacuated with children. And I'm asking this because I think, you know, we are yet to speak about the effects of violence, violent homes on children. You just mm-hmm. mentioned to us about a two year old who was actually used as a punching bag, as a pawn, mm-hmm. a violent um, um, incident. How many children are you seeing? that women have to flee with as you evacuate this women?
2: Honestly, one out of every two survivors we've had has had children. Okay. So what are the ages? Basically a 50, 50 vibe. Um, we have not yet evacuated a child over the age of eight. Wow. So all of the children currently that we've evacuated have been under the age of eight. Um, I remember there was this one woman where it was two children. One was, was four and the other was six. And they were so cute. They were like, can we take our pet hamsters with us? Um, Because those were their comfort animals and they had literally just given birth and the perpetrator had actually threatened to harm the animals in front of the children. I mean, we don't take these small things into consideration when we, when we talk about what does it mean to leave a perpetrator Um, and, and the kind of scars that leaves on a child when they have to leave their pet behind or their teddy bears behind or their place of comfort or even be close to schools. Um, because mm-hmm. often you can't find shelter that's actually close to where your home is for your own safety. So what does that mean when it comes to your routine and how does it disturb the children and being close to family and friends? Another thing that I wanted to highlight also uh, about domestic violence, specifically within the coronavirus uh, outbreak, is the fact that we are all separated from our immediate circles of, 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 of help, support. Of support. So your mother, your father, your cousins, your, your colleagues, your friends, the people that would have usually been your support structure, you're not allowed to even go to them. And they would have been the people that see the red flags when you tell them that you fell down a staircase and you have a bruise and they're like, Mm-mm, this is not the situation. But now perpetrators have you in their midst and all the people that would have been your support network that could have seen the red flags
0: don't have access to you anymore. You can disappear for days and no one will ever know. In a lot of ways, Mandisa, Corona has become a a risk factor for women, not because they get the virus and get sick, but as you rightfully say, they are not able to go to work, they are not able to go to their family, and they are not able to go to their friends. And 50% of the people you have helped, and mind you, you have not helped everybody. Exactly. That support. Just the ones that you have helped, the ones that you have had um, ask for help are the ones that you are seeing this story. Um, Mm. How many of these women are able to be accommodated by family? Before we go to shelters, because we know they are not enough. How many of them are able to be taken in by family in, in your experience?
2: To be honest, only one.
0: Only oh one God. of all
2: the survivors was taken in by family. Um, the families have uh, expressed that they are exhausted with the domestic violence and they don't want to be involved or intervene. Um, Explain that them- a little
0: bit. What family okay, so,
2: are exhausted? Um, for example, the the lady that I was telling you about, she has family, like the 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 one with the two-year-old. But the family, because she's opened so many cases against this particular perpetrator um, and he's beaten her so many times and she's dropped so many cases, they said that they don't want anything more to do with her if this wow. is the context in which she wants to escape. Um, and then what we had as well as other people saying that, listen, if you're going to move here, how are we going to cope? There's not enough space, et cetera. So you're not finding families creating a supporting environment for the survivors to actually move and be with them. Um, mm. so it's, 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 it's weird because you would think that people have open uh, networks of support,
0: but they actually don't a lot of the times. Could some of them be scared, just afraid that they will be. Within the issues, there will be, you know, like, what if this man now comes? I know during COVID people can not travel or are not supposed to travel, but I'm mm. sure if a perpetrator you and you come to my house, they could be knocking at my door anytime. How much of that is a factor?
2: Look, some of it is a factor. Uh, one of the perpetrators had previously beaten the survivor's mother. Um, so she had specifically said she does not want to endanger her, her parents anymore. So she would rather go to a place of safety that he can't find her at. And also, I mean, generally speaking, if the perpetrator and you have been together for a while, they'll know who your, your family and friends are. And that's where they'll Mm. look for you first. Mm. And so it isn't necessarily the safest option to go there. And also they won't have the mechanisms that a shelter would to be able to protect you. So it's, it's, I mean, it's a catch 22 situation. Some survivors have expressed that they don't want to lose all of their assets because obviously if you're the one moving out of the house, the perpetrator then essentially by default gets rewarded with everything that you've worked for, the rental that you've contributed, your furniture, all of those things, you lose them. And he essentially gets rewarded with all of those things because you want to escape the home. And so some have have, have shown some kind of resistance to that, that. can you help me move my stuff? Um, and we don't provide that service. We don't have moving vans where we can take your furniture as well as you. We just take you to a place of safety or wherever you need to go. But they have. They, I, I had seen that that might be a bit of a gap in our interventions as civil society because we essentially saying to the woman, "Give up everything to leave this person," and we're not assisting them with saying, "Okay, if they are if they are able to make the means to find themselves another suitable accommodation." Can we not provide some kind of means to help them transition? I don't know. It's a lot of ideas going off in my head right now about how we can improve our response. But it's just one of the things we've been seeing.
0: You are raising a very important point that I want us to get back to. But let's talk about shelters and the kind of support that women can get if they do feel that they need to go to a shelter. You did say that the first woman that you helped or the one woman you told us about was worried whether they will be safe. So what um, are the kind of services, so to speak, do women um, get at a shelter? That is, if you find them a, a, a space at a shelter, we'll talk about whether many are available. But what is um, it we can expect from a shelter?
2: Look, the beauty about shelters is that they really are quite... Uh, strict when it comes to security. Uh, you can't see into the, the the building structure. Most of them have security cameras. Um, there's v- very limited access. Even us that work with shelters, we have to leave the survivor at the door at the worst, or they meet us at the police station. So that even we don't know where the survivor is, depending on the risk factors of the survivor in particular. Um, so that, in terms, you can definitely expect safety. Uh, most shelters are equipped uh, with child friendly facilities, so you are able to take your children and they 'll get what they need. Um, psychosocial support is mandatory for all shelters, so there 's always a social worker allocated to a shelter that can provide you with that kind of support you 're also meant to have some kind of skills development program, but because most of the shelters are underfunded. That doesn't happen a lot of the time, and also a shelter stays between three to four months. And let's be realistic: what kind of skill can you develop in such a short period of time? Mm-hmm. But that's also mm-hmm. one of the of, of 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 the things that they have available uh, for survivors. So um, it's a, it's a caring space. You have a house mother who's there at all times to look after your needs. Um, you do integrate with other women that are also survivors of violence. They run some group therapy sessions. It's it's a it's a very enabling environment. For, for, for women. But my problem is the stay. Shelter stays are just too short and they, they don't give you adequate time to actually recover in terms of your own life so that you can leave the perpetrator on a permanent basis. So after that three-month period, this is another thing that has happened within COVID, is that some people's three-month shelter stay ended during this COVID lockdown period. Now, what do you do then? Because you have no place to go. You can't rent a new apartment. Everybody is on lockdown. Um, You are essentially now put in a situation where you kind of either go back to the perpetrator or you have to reconcile with family and friends, etc. It's a bit Mm -hmm. of a mess. So that's one of the things that we've identified that needs to be addressed is what comes after the shelter stay. Can we have proper secondary sheltering uh, around the country that facilitates some kind of reintegration and economic independence of survivors post their shelter stay?
0: Yeah. So I think for me, what is important, particularly for women who may be listening to us who need a shelter, is that as you say, mm. the shelters. are So if a woman feels need to go out, the shelter is safe. Now. Mm. The- go back to a point that Mandisa says they are not able to provide. And that is this issue of women. And I like the way, Mandisa, you put it when you say the man gets rewarded, mm. staying in the home. So the first question that I ask myself, um, and, and, and I want to ask you, Deniko, is why is the man who could most probably live on their own. And like the first example, Mandisa came as, who could even be sent to jail. Why do we get the women leaving and we are not removing the men? Mm. Yes. So in my opinion,
1: I think it's it's a thing of we're afraid of of the man who's the abuser. Um, because the man who's the abuser displays, shows themselves off as the strongest person alive. And if they're not showing themselves off as the strongest person, they're the kindest person to everyone but the ones that they abuse. So we can't reconcile this nice person also being an abuser and then having to lose out on so many things because this lady who may or may not be lying because she's never really said anything when we've asked her um, that she benefits from it so it's one of those things it's 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 that societal thing of like why must a woman benefit from the hard work of her male partner, and then also it's it's the unfairness of. He's the actual bully. And, and so you're the one who, who needs to run away if you can't stand up for yourself or if you can't get the police to protect you. Because the fact of the matter is he might kill you and he's not even afraid of endangering his own life to control you. So that's why you need to leave because of his his personality and all of just... it's It's not safe for you to try and hash it out with him. It's not like a normal divorce situation where um, you, would, you would both stay in the house and argue until, you, until you, know, you can even change the locks and the man leaves. It's not that situation. Because if you change the locks, you, lo- you run the risk of him throwing a brick through the window and then beating you up again. So it's not safe just to stay with him in general. Okay. But
2: Diniko and, and mm-hmm. Lebu, what we have been talking about from an advocacy perspective, and I hope that this message resonates with women uh, when it comes to advocating for, for, for new ways to de- address gender-based violence, there are countries in the world, such as Israel, where it's the perpetrator who goes to the shelter and not the survivor. And the perpetrator in that shelter then gets given proper, adequate psychosocial support so that they can get anger management classes, they can deal with whatever issues are making them violent. And you see quite a brilliant turnaround when it comes to perpetrator behavior, because they are the ones isolated. And the women and the children are not the ones that are forced to leave their home and their comfort because of their violence. I think as South Africa, we need to think around those kind of solutions and how we can
0: bring them into our own context and make them work. You know what, Mandisa, mm. I, I, I was there with Tineko because, you know, clearly when you remove a woman and children, and children you just spoke about the effect on the child mm. from um, their home. You, you, you have to have, if the state was to provide all the sheltering, you've got to have so much more shelters that mm. really removed the men. And mm. this cautiously, and I'll allow Tinuko right now to probably just explain to us what the law says. I, I I say this cautiously because, you know, given the state of our policing, mm. and, and what if the man, unless if he goes to jail, moved, and then in two days he comes back and he harms yeah. the, the the woman, so the safety aspect mm. can understand why we are removing the woman, but. I, I really agree with you that from a state resourcing point of view, mm. and lack of a better way, I wish there was a soft jail where the mm. man moved, and when he is placed in this place, he is absolutely not allowed to come out. But we mm. have seen worse things. We have even seen police kill their own uh, families and partners. So, yes. yeah, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. But over to you, mm. Daniel. Yeah. So that's that's really the problem with
1: South Africa. And that's why I, I um I wanna go back to something Mandisa said in in the beginning, which is that South Africa is a very violent country, right? And so because of it's such a violent country, the first response a lot of people have to a lot of situations is violence. And it's accepted socially, which is why when when the laws about um beating up children um and the fact that you're no longer allowed to do that. There were so many people who were against it. And the first thing you'd think is, oh, okay, so it, it's the older generation that's mostly against it. But no, there were even people who are new mothers, people who have two-year-olds, you know, arguing for why it's okay for me to beat up my two-year-old because I told my two-year-old no, and my two-year-old did not listen got burned. And so now I'm going to hit my two year old because you deserve it. You didn't listen on top of the fact that the child just learned to listen by actually burning, Right. So we already have a violent country that sees violence as, you know, a form of discipline. So because they see it as a form of discipline, when you're taking out the man, the man is already elevated in the society. You're taking him out for, for, for being a disciplinarian in his household. Those are the first questions people are gonna ask, what did she do? What was happening? Before they even go, Oh my god, this is so wrong. How dare you beat her up, right? They're first gonna try and justify it. So when we take him out and we put him in another place where he meets up other men that are just like him, I don't see it as, you know, a good environment, right? Unless, like Mm -hmm. Lebu suggested, it's a sort of a jail if these men are allowed to leave that environment, it's not safe for the women because they know where the women are. They know that the police are not going to protect these women. And some of them are actually friends with with the police, you know. And so when they go there, when you go to report, someone pretends to write Hmm. it down and, and does nothing about it. So for specifically our country, until we deal with why we think that violence is the answer to each and every single problem we face, it's mm-hmm. it's gonna be a long battle against GBV.
2: Mm. But just to respond uh, to what Daniko was saying, I I absolutely hear the safety element of how do you ensure that the surviving, the children that are left in the home are left secure and how some kind of a soft prison facility would probably be more likely uh, an an answer because how do you ensure the safety? My, My concern is that if you look at the stats right now in the UK, because they've got a domestic violence hotline for men as well who are perpetrators to try talk them down. It's been quite successful and it's seen a huge increase specifically during this lockdown period. So Mm. the fact that we have interventions and support mechanisms for the survivors and we're leaving the perpetrators behind, we're not really solving the problem because yes, sure, this woman will leave, but then another woman will come and the same woman will be abused by the same perpetrator. So how do we, how do we ensure that we actually change the behavior of the perpetrator on a more permanent level? So, um, South Africa,
1: because of how it's um, an inherently violent society, um, people see um, violence as a form of discipline, so it will definitely be hard um, to convince the society that you know violence really isn't the solution for everything, because a lot of South Africans believe it's the solution for everything, so that's why a lot of them don't necessarily. See a problem with GBV up until you know it's so bad that it's visible and it's in your face. You know that's when they react to it, and 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 and, and unfortunately, that means that women, children, and members of the queer community are gonna be at 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 the bottom of the rat right of the violent society, um, and. And until we deal with that, it it really won't be easy to protect these women and children because what we're doing is we're continuing the cycle because these kids are raised in in, in a violent household where they think that this is okay. And so they acted out at school during play. No one reprimands them at school during play about how this is not how they should be behaving uh, towards each other. So they grow up thinking that this is okay. And then they continue the cycle, even though it wasn't their intention, you know, to be abusers because of, you know, I saw my parent being abused and I was abused. But then they continue the cycle because that's what they think normal is.
0: That's an important one. We you were sharing the story of the UK, especially during the lockdown, having mm-hmm. a, a number for men to call. And, mm-hmm. and I want to word what I'm going to say very carefully. Because I think, I do not, not that I think, I do not want to come across as giving men an excuse. But I say this, the lockdown more than anything, more than the virus and the symptoms and the deaths that are associated with COVID, more than the loss of income and the economic impact, has a huge mental impact. Definitely. You know, you spoke about numbers, uh, GBV, a GBV, a, a command center, etc. cetera. Now, Num- I'm going to ask you a number of questions. Is the number that men can call? Do men know that they can call this number? And how many men have actually called this number? So I'm trying to say how many men have actually gone out and sought help rather than beat up Women And I'm not suggesting, and I want to make it categorically clear, that men have an excuse to beat up women. I do not want to suggest even one point that men are doing that because there is something wrong and therefore their behavior is excused or excusable. But there is something that says, in a society where violence, as Tinuko has been saying, is the solution to a problem? We probably need services where men can call, where men can access help when they are not coping with their emotions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What is the state in South Africa, and can these GBV centres get calls from men, and are men calling them? Do they even know that they can call? Look, we currently don't have a dedicated hotline for men. Facts, uh, however.
2: The social workers and, and, psych- and, and the counsellors at the GBV command centre can take uh, calls f- from men. Um, They're equipped with that skill uh, to talk down perpetrators, etc. Um, I do not have the current stats as to how many men have called in to be, uh, to be talked down. But I do know that generally the understanding of South Africans around gender-based violence is that the interventions available are for women and for survivors. So there isn't messaging around when you feel like you want to hurt someone, this is the number you dial to try and get support. There is, there is no messaging around that. And I was really hoping to see a little bit more from the men's movement in particular um, around this issue, because they do talk about GBV, um, etc., when they have their men's parliaments, but they speak about how do they as men caucus and have community meetings and try to stop these things, but they don't really talk about what interventions and support services, or even trying to encourage a culture of seeking psychological help. Um, I think, especially in black communities, if I can say that, we, we really have not inculcated a culture of of seeking professional psychological help. Um, and I think it's, 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 it goes both ways with men and women. And we need to start having some kind of messaging around that nationally. Uh, but yeah, uh, right now there's no dedicated line. I do not have current stats as to how many men are phoning the GBV command center, but there are men that have called. I just don't know how many. Um, and I think that maybe they, that we need to start doing a program or some kind of awareness around intervention specifically targeted at men because it doesn't help us as a society to think we can jail them all. We actually can't. We just don't have that capacity. Um, so we need to find ways to reintegrate abusers into society and make
0: them nonviolent. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't be jailing people because we need to be preventing the violence. And exactly. it, issues of parenting. I also know that I have been brought up and I was beaten and I was told and made to understand that it is for my own good. And I am ashamedly, very shameful admitting that I have beaten up my children because I believe that that is what has been done. But I think really and truly that it's not logical. One plus one here does not make two. The beating mm. up of people cannot be an mm. violence action. I mean, even when you say it, it doesn't make good English sense. But mm. I am owning my own struggle with it because I do know that... Um, Many South Africans, you know, fear that if you don't beat up children, you won't be able to control or discipline them. And in fact, that's a fear response. And I'm wondering how that has just normalized how uh, especially men treat women. But also the main issue, as per the first story that you shared, that very little will happen to me if I do. Mm-hmm. So there is something that that is said, has to be said about how we treat those who are really abusing and, and, and are really behaving in despicable ways. But I, I'm I'm very um, interested, Mandisa, and, and, and I support your call around having calls for men. So let's use this podcast to say, and maybe speak to men in particular, the GBV Command Center and the line that Lifeline is doing is not a line for women men can call that line. Mm-hmm. Men can call that line even if they themselves are abused or even if they are in homes where there is so much anger, you know, and, and, and tension where they can go and they speak to somebody. In other ways, I'm trying to encourage us to say, before there is a violent act, there is mm-hmm. so much that families can do to deal with the stress and the tension. And the stress and the tension is is actually exacerbated by um, the lockdown. The lockdown is stressful, but also people are losing their jobs, which may add into the stress. And therefore we need to be encouraging healthy seeking behavior. And, and they don't have their coping mechanisms, Lebo. We haven't talked about the role of the lack
2: of tobacco and alcohol in all of this. Um, some say that it's a driver that actually makes the GPV worse. Some say that right now, a person who would have usually gone to a shabeen to de-escalate their anger is now taking it out in the home. So there's a lot of different perspectives around what the alcohol and cigarette ban are doing as it directly relates to gender-based violence. And I think it's going to be something that we study as a sector for quite some time.
0: Yeah, the the logic there, Mandisa, I must say, does not make sense Mm. to me. Because mm. many studies have been done that shows the direct link between alcohol and interpersonal violence. Hospitals are seeing many admissions. Uh, I mean, less, less admissions during the lockdown, different from when there was alcohol uh, consumption. And um, where I agree with you is that there is a nuanced response, but mm. I think that the violence in the homes would have gone worse if men were allowed to drink at home and still be on lockdown. I think, uh, you know, a drunk man would have been much, much worse. But I do agree with you around how do we help um, uh, people cope, men and women? Because remember, this stress is not only uh, uh, affecting men. Men don't have a special category of being understood to be stressful. If stress Mm. was making men beat up women, or if stress was making people to be violent, women would have killed everybody else. Because of circumstances, forget the lockdown. We live very stressful lives. Mm. 60-70% of women in South Africa are left to
2: I've lost label as well.
0: Can you hear me? We lost you. Oh, I don't know what happened. Can you hear me now? Okay, so 60% to 70% of households are, are, are female headed. Children are growing up without their fathers. Uh, so If really stress was making people violent, women would have gone out with assault rifles and killed everybody. So let us not make it that it is the stress that men are facing that is making them kill women. I think it is stress plus, 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 plus. Mm, Definitely. Accept that violence against, I mean, uh, the lockdown and the stress that it does has made the numbers go up and uh, um, uh, much higher in many Countries, so we do have to find coping mechanisms for both men, women, and children. Now, Definitely. Nico, um, the law and children.
1: Sorry about that. Just to add, I think it's important to emphasize that men need to seek men need to seek mental health related services. They really need to see therapists to find out what's happening. You know, sometimes. Sometimes you might think um, that, oh no, you just have a short temper, but it might be, you know, something in connection to your personality or you have a mood disorder. And if you had gone to seek out that help, you would be able to, you know, cope with it better and your family would be able to deal with it better, you know, and there wouldn't be as much violence as there is in that situation because you know your problem and you're seeking help for it. And I think that's the problem. Men are either shy to seek help or they don't seek help at all, you know. So we need them to go and seek mental health-related help, not just for, oh, my body is sore. No, but you need, my mind is sore. I need to know why today I'm feeling so unhappy, you know, when I just see my wife, who I chose to be with every day.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is, um, I often say that one of the biggest violence. That our state has against its people is the lack of provision of mental health services. Mental Definitely. health is one of the underserved and underprovided services in South Africa. And mm. for the country, per the country, all of us, we are in P- PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, because apartheid was violence upon us. And the scars of apartheid are still living with us. And um, under normal circumstances, you would have made things like racism a core curricular in the work that we do. We don't have it. We speak about social cohesion, and even the ministers who speak about social cohesion themselves are just speaking about it. It's like for IR. They don't know what they are talking about. They are not making it happen, but it's time nice to talk about it. And the second thing is exactly that. that the services are not there, and mental health services that the amount of trained personnel, even at school level with social workers, they are so few. But also, you know, the stigma in our communities that um, surround mental health is quite a lot. I'm going to uh, wrap up um, uh, uh, Mandisa and I want to talk a little bit about the economic cost of violence against women. You spoke about women moving with their children into shelters. And now let's assume you are a working woman and you've got to go and you've got to be in a shelter and your children are there. How many women, apart from, you know, leaving their furniture, which is an economic um, uh, impact, how many women then are not able to work, are not able to, you know, go and earn a living Because of this violence.
2: I mean, if you speak specifically in the coronavirus outbreak lockdown condition, if I move you to a shelter outside of your area, how are you supposed to move around? Um, Like just the basics of you now need to commute three times to get to that place and you're now violating your lockdown conditions by default. So there's, there's that element. I also just wanted I I hear your question and I know you wanted me to talk about how it affects the women and what kind of repercussions and ripple effect this means but I also wanted to talk about something that also happened with one with our um, our food aid is that we have women who are saying that perpetrators are not buying groceries as a form of punishment during the lockdown so We've had to deliver groceries, I remember, to a family with a, a child with disabilities and two other children who hadn't eaten for two days and the perpetrator goes out and finds a way to buy himself food
0: and then he leaves them to starve.
2: Because but, Mandisa, you know, that's
0: in- an important one because that mm. is, you know, like we say, there's physical abuse, there's, there's mm. emotional abuse. This is economic abuse. Exactly who had to deliver a food parcel to the
2: home
1: and it's very common it's yeah. it's, it's very common it, it was one of the first cases i dealt with in law clinic at bits where this lady just because mm-hmm. she was um um unable to to have children and didn't want to have um a second person come into their marriage the husband started emotionally and economically abusing her would buy food for himself eat those takeaways and throw the boxes in the bin for her to see. Just so you must know Mm. I am eating, but I'm not going to support you because you don't want to give me a child
0: anyway. Mm. Now, why would he not divorce her? I mean, is that not uh,
2: another option? There's also stigma in our communities divorce? Level around um, divorce and around separating. It's seen as some form of a failure. And I mean, we need to have that conversation around um, how we program ourselves socially um, and, and, and the stigma that, that is surrounded around divorce, etc. Um, but it just it, it, it's amazing to me that once it gets to that level where I can't even eat and now I have to stay in this home, it's the things that people put each other through in the name of love is so violent. It's so violent and it, and, it, and it makes no sense why something that started out so beautifully could end in, in, in this horrific manner.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I want to link what you've just said at the end uh, there, Mandisa, to what we said about being beaten up at home. Mm-hmm. Because I think we have created a love language from being beaten up at home that associates love with violence. Exactly. Normalize how people who love you can beat you up and they are beating you up in love. Mm. And even as I say it, it sounds crazy, but I know it has been done to me and I know that I have done it to my children. Mm. I think I can now understand how, and you are right about marriage as an achievement, And marriage being, I mean, divorce being seen as a stigma and all the idioms. I mean, I know in Setswana, we talk about meaning that you will die, but you must die at least at your in-laws. And all of those and the pride and religion just came in there as well and just made marriage this holy thing that God blesses. And one does not want to suggest that marriage is not a beautiful thing. But any relationship that keeps together and people can be this horrible to each other. I'm even wa- wondering, Mandisa, whether it would have started beautifully, whether they wouldn't have been telltale sites mm-hmm. that people just ignored. And perhaps it started beautifully. I'm not disagreeing with you, Mandisa, that it could have started beautifully. But how do we stay in a place that robs an, us of so much humanity? It robs the survivor, or the victim, but it also robs the perpetrator. What kind of a person goes and buys food? That's not a happy person and, mm. just, and throws away the pack. I mean, there could be so many different ways in which you could go, find a fertile woman, have as many children as you want, buy groceries and live happily ever after. Why exactly. talk to somebody else, you know? Um, but i a conversation for another day. But I'm very happy, Mandisa, that you spoke about the withdrawal of food. As a way of um, punishing the woman and children. And yet, I think it also speaks to what is deemed work and what is not deemed work. I'm sure mm. in the home cleans and makes sure that the children are being taken care of. Why is that not seen as a contribution? That is worth the money.
2: A unpaid care work is going to be the death of us as women, honestly. I I am. <laughs> There's so much to be said about it, um, about how even during this lockdown period, the education of children and this homeschooling has now been burdened again on women and how that continues to perpetuate the, uh, the unpaid care work debacle that we find ourselves in. Um, dependency, unfortunately, is one of the main drivers of domestic violence because when the perpetrator is done isolating you from everybody else, they now use their economic strength to ensure that you stay in this position where they you cannot leave them under any circumstances because it will essentially end your life in one way or another. So they, it's 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 a really big catch twenty two situation. And I think, Lebo, in further conversations, even us that are in the sector, we need to really have proper resource allocation towards economic empowerment projects for survivors of violence. Mm. I, 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 like we keep speaking in a vacuum, like that's not the overarching issue here. Um, yes, you do see people being abused and sent in, in their Mercedes. No one is saying that that's not happening, but the reality is that there's such a strong linkage between financial dependency and a woman's ability to leave a violent home that it cannot be ignored any further. And if we don't deal with that particular issue, we're going to find ourselves having these conversations year on year.
1: Yeah, just to add, sometimes it might be the, 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 the woman who's in the better financial position and that is what is used to bring her down and have her be dependent on, you know, her partner to perpetuate the domestic violence. So they just really find one tiny little thing that you're insecure about, and they go at it and use that to create a dependency, you know, where you're thinking, um, so sometimes it might even be a dependency of like, but am I as smart as I think I am? Because um I've been with him, let's say since varsity, and a lot of the research that I've done, he's been there. Helping me with it, checking it. So do I actually believe in my own capabilities? You know, because that person has gotten into your mind. So it's one of those things. They find something. So the dependency aspect, I agree with Mandisa, is a is is a big thing that needs to be dealt with, you know. Um, and the way to deal with it is to teach people to be independent in relationships. I don't know when we we became You know, a society that believes that a couple must, you know, um, literally be one union, not just legally, but like even everywhere else where everything you do, you do together. If you can separate the couples, it's easier for them to create their own identities so that such situations don't happen because it's harder to isolate one or the other.
0: Uh, You are raising... Very important issues, Tiniko, and, and I think before we get there, we are just going to have to be, you know, like in a church where you just have to pause and someone has to say an amen to what you are saying because mm-hmm. it sounds so true but so foreign for many people. But Mandisa, I also want to add to that and come back to what you are saying. You know, many sentient women do not want to lose the lifestyle.
2: Exactly.
0: And we are using Santin women as a euphemism for middle class and higher class working women. Mm. Many of them do not really want to lose that life that is seen and envied by Lebo, Tineko and Mandisa combined. Many of them do not want to be seen to have failed. So you did mention it before. So yes. There is a dependency created in poorer households, but I actually have seen more bravery amongst poorer women, amongst class mm. women, than amongst my son friends who have not even wanted their families and friends to know that there is abuse in their, in their relationship. And I do not even want to mention some very public ones that we have known of. And 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 I think it also speaks to what do you lose? You spoke about losing your place, losing your family, but you also lose friends. So I have had who mm. a divorced saying, "The friends that we used to have, the parties we used to go to, he can come in after the divorce with his new girlfriend, and sometimes it's a girlfriend who was there waiting, <laughs> you know." <laughs> Mm. And I can't, I must now go find another group of friends. You know, I can no longer go to the events and the dinner parties. I can't even bring my new boyfriend, let alone go alone. So I think there is a lot that is really real for women, even those uh, middle to higher class women that women lose. And, And I think one can then appreciate why many of them do not want to leave the their relationships. I think as Most we think, for me, my heart goes out to children. Mm-hmm. And probably in other episodes, we are going to have to uh, call somebody from the Teddy Bear Clinic or somebody that works with children to come and talk to us about the impact of abuse on children. Because at least women call you Mandisa and then you put them in a shelter. But uh, as you say, you know, apart from the two children who wanted to take the hamster and the one, the two-year-old who had to be beaten up because, you know, the the man wanted to teach the woman a lesson, we have really not heard the stories of children and how mm. the scars that you spoke about really affect um, the children that often cannot speak of themselves, especially speak for themselves, especially the ages that you say they are. This has been such a, I I can't even say heartwarming, a heartbreaking. But in a lot of ways, Mandisa, it's been an inspiring conversation because of what Rise Up does as a civil society organization. This has been a special conversation. Thank you so much for coming out of your very busy schedule during this very unusual time to speak to us, I would like to encourage both men and women, please seek help, especially when you are a man and you are feeling frustrated and you are feeling stressed. The command number and the lifeline number are numbers that men and women can access and call. But if you are in Gauteng and you are a woman and you are facing abuse, Mandisa has shared the number of her uh, organization where you can call. And I'm going to ask you Mandisa very slowly again to give us the lifeline number, which I know is 0800 150 150, but give us the command center number and your organization's number. If people want to refer people in Gauteng for your organization for evacuations, but the command center I know can be accessed throughout South Africa. So maybe start with the command center number, Mandisa, and then the rise up number. So the command center, the GBV command center uh,
2: that can be accessed by all genders is 0800-428-428. Um, and they will provide you, serv- they will give you access to services and uh, CBOs and NGOs that operate in your area, as well as some kind of social works. Uh, social workers as well. Um, and if you do require emergency services, they can even link you to the police. And if you need to be evacuated within the housing area from an abusive household, you can dial 073-732-6060 for Rise Up Against Gender-Based Violence.
0: If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, or you have a legal or finance matter that you would like some advice or assistance on, you can reach us via WhatsApp only or a voice note on 061-535-4623 or via email on zangazulugel at gmail.com. We will try to share information with you And where possible, Dineko, who is a legal expert, will give you some advice on how to deal with your matter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at what's love underscore podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook on what's love podcast. Note that the views expressed in this podcast do not represent the views of the Seoul City Institute for Social Justice.